Hi, welcome to another edition of Fleet Momentum video series produced by Automotive Fleet. I'm Fleet Group Editor Chris Brown. This series is designed to put a spotlight on key leaders, trends, and product offerings in the fleet management industry. This episode is sponsored by and produced in partnership with AT&T. Today, I'll be speaking to Jason Hammond, Director of Mobile Field Solutions at AT&T. Jason and I will discuss strategies to lower fuel consumption, reduce idling, and other strategies to reduce fleet operating costs overall. All right, well, Jason, hey, welcome to another edition of Fleet Momentum video series. Hey, Chris, hey, glad to be with you today. For sure. All right, well, uh, we're gonna uh, hit a really important topic as it relates to fleet costs, and that's reducing fuel consumption. Let's really dig, dig into some of these real life issues, okay? I mean, when the easy one to go to is is idle reduction, right? I mean, it's fall season, winter is coming, right? I mean, are there times when it's actually necessary to idle? Yeah, uh, I think uh, it's 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 a good topic, right? Like it, you know, idling is one of the first places companies look when focusing on fuel expense reduction. That's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, in some cases, it's the area that yields the most impact. Uh, but you know, in some cases, it's not. It really depends on the company and the industry they're in and the company's policies and use cases. You know, Chris, take the utilities industry for example. You know, you know, these workers in the field are operating machinery components that are sometimes connected to the truck that require power or what we call PTO to run and operate those components. An example would be a boom lift to help repair power lines. Uh, you know, what we help companies with is separating the acceptable idling from the exception idling. Uh, that's a very important term, acceptable idling from exception idling. Uh, and then we create rule sets to help measure the difference between the two. So, you know, once we have these rule sets in place, uh, we're able to accurately measure the exception idling to determine the true reduction measurements and impacts versus the false. Uh, put it this way, if, if I only create goals around reducing all of my idling, and half of my idling is actually acceptable, uh, maybe creating goals that can't be measured accurately. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, you bring up some really good points about what's, what's acceptable and being able to define that. I mean, so let's just walk down that path a little bit. I mean, you know, tell me about some practices that fleets can implement to reduce idle time. And, you know, I guess we, we can use idling for practical safety concerns, right? Um, and, and then get into how idling plays into worker safety as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you're correct. I mean, it can be both, right? I mean, it can be that we have goals for reducing idling and using idling for practical safety situations. Uh, and I would say in most cases there needs to be. Um, I would say that most companies out there are super focused on the safety of their workers nowadays. As I mentioned before, the ability to idle is sometimes crucial to the safety of field workers. Uh, at a simple level, there's extreme temperature cases where idling is providing a safe haven 
to warm or cool these important field workers. You know, if the workers aren't safe, then the whole business plan, uh, the whole business plan falls apart, right? Um, but I want to go back to a previous point. Most companies we speak with do not know how or not effectively separating the acceptable from the exception. They haven't found a partner that can utilize and read the data, you know, and make recommendations to help them. Uh, at AT&T, we focus on reading the data we're collecting on the vehicles and putting more precise measurements in place. You know, once we fine-tune those rules and exceptions, uh, we can effectively measure the results of the company's fuel reduction initiatives. Uh, without that surgical approach, the returns will not usually not be in line with the goals. Sure. Um, so, you know, we talked, let's get a little bit beyond idle reduction um, and into some other ways that fleets can improve, you know, fuel consumption. Um, you, know, you talk about fuel theft, fuel card in integration, knowing how much fuel was put in the tank. What are some solutions that we can offer fleets today? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, Chris, the most um, the, the thing that comes to my head first is electric electrification. Like we're certainly looking at that in our own fleet. You know, AT&T has a fleet of 70,000 plus vehicles and, you know, we're we're focused on uh, climate initiatives and reducing greenhouse emissions and reducing fuel. Uh, so that has the potential to really reduce fuel cost. Um, as the market evolves and we see a shift to electrification, it becomes the captain obvious, right, for reducing fuel cost. Uh, and we're able to help companies in demystifying the conversion to EV. Um, but, but, but I want to put EV on the side for a moment and we'll come back to it. You know, to your question, yes, driver behavior uh, and, you know, idling are the two leading factors for reducing fuel cost. You know, for a quick recap, we've talked about measuring acceptable versus exception idling. Uh, obviously, from a driver behavior standpoint, it's important to establish rule sets and parameters and measure those against goals. You know, but if you're only measuring against a safety scorecard, then you may be missing some savings. Uh, let me ask you this, Chris, uh, is the Monday morning email that goes out to all the drivers really driving the behavior uh, that you want to see, or has it become a little stale over time? Uh, are the drivers actually paying attention to it? Yeah. You know, do, the, do the drivers really remember what we're trying to accomplish? Do they know what we're doing and how we're doing it? I think the area that we can most impact uh, savings, to answer your question, Above those obvious areas is what we call in-cab coaching. Mm. Um, we do this by giving drivers in-cab reminders that they're in violation of some company rule. Uh, that can be for idling, hard acceleration, harsh braking, hard cornering. You know, it's not just a focus on fuel savings at that point, but overall cost to replace vehicles sometimes. Uh, you know, it's one thing to monitor exceptions and give feedback on the back end, um, potentially days and weeks after the exceptions occurred. It's quite another situation to give the driver immediate feedback, right? Uh, this approach has the ability to really change the driver behavior. 
And we can do this now through audible alerts and buzzers or actually spoken words. We can speak to the drivers and say, hey, you're violating this company policy. You need to slow down. Uh, so our solution that we can do is place, you know, hardware components in the cab and, you know, tell the driver if they're violating some policy. Uh, and then you start to connect behaviors with goals and see a larger impact on your reduction goals. In certain cases, we've been able to compare a baseline of driver behaviors before the in-cab coaching implementation to after the implementation of this in-cab coaching. And that's where we see some pretty dramatic results. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, the in-cab coaching is such a, a crucial component uh, now of, of fleets and, and safety and, and, you know, idle reduction as well, for sure. Uh, hey, just circling back around, we've just got maybe time for one more question here. You know, we're talking about fleet electrification, right? Um, and we've certainly got a lot of coverage on it, but what is one thing that you think that fleets really need to pay attention to that they might not quite just yet on this path to electrification? Okay. Okay. Uh, good question. Uh, Chris, I'm glad you came back to EV, right? As I mentioned before, we have the, uh, the ability to perform these EV shift assessments. Like how do I make that change? How do I make that evolution? Uh, and our approach there is to really, you know, assess the current vehicle payloads to determine if there's a suitable EV replacement vehicle that would equally say handle the load. In other words, can I make the change from X combustion vehicle to X electric vehicle and keep the same levels of production? And do we have the, infra uh, the charging infrastructure to support our plans and the number of vehicles and the routes that we run? Um, I think the way we do that is we take a look at the num a number of factors to be able to complete these assessments. That may include number of miles driven, the route diversity, idling time, you know, there's idling again, right? The payload on the electrical systems, voltage uh, divided by production parameters, climate changes, heating and cooling cycles, just to name a few. You know, and then once we've completed that, uh, we feel like the customer has the most extensive assessment to move to EV that they can get. Uh, and, you know, every customer has to work through this cycle and workflow in order to make the best transition. Well, really good points and really great information presented. Uh, Jason, that's it for this edition of Fleet Momentum. Really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, glad to join, Chris. Anytime. Take care.